Welcome to the Thriving in Chaos Project. Certified divorce coach and credentialed mediator Paulette Rigo invites you to grab a favorite beverage, find a cozy seat, soothe your soul, and take a listen. This podcast was created and inspired by our courageous journeys, love for connecting with others, and having meaningful conversations that teach, impact, and heal through sharing our stories. In each episode, Paulette will be joined by some of the most experienced and compelling experts in all things divorce and transformation. Listen to prepare and thrive through the toughest chapters as we reveal our hardships, celebrate our lessons learned, and see the future clearly with encouragement, hope, and joy. Leave feeling empowered and prepared to approach life and maintain our dignity no matter what. Each podcast episode focuses on sharing real conversations from real life situations. Isn't it time you thrived? Welcome to the Thriving in Chaos Project. I'm Paulette, your host, and I'm really happy to spend the next 30 minutes or so with an amazing woman that I met in March of 2019, back when people were actually seeing one another in person at the NADP, also known as the National Association of Divorce Professionals Conference. Lindsay Ellison joins me today. She's a relationship coach and the founder of Starting Over Start Over Coaching, not starting, Start Over Coaching Incorporated, a coaching practice dedicated to helping people wake up from their breakup. She's also the author of the best-selling book, Magic Words, How to Get What You Want from a Narcissist. Now, Lindsay was kind enough to autograph her book when I met her back at that conference, and I use it pretty much on a daily basis with clients when they say to me, help, I don't know what to say. I'm tripping on my words. So welcome to the show, Lindsay. I am so happy that you're here with me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So Lindsay, let's start at the beginning of your story. How did you become a relationship coach? Well, it is an interesting story. Um, I actually have been for the first part of my career I was in marketing and branding and um, I always hated the job then I got divorced myself and at the time my kids were were young um, they were four and seven um, this is about 11 years ago now and I had been dealing with my ex and I started writing for the Huffington Post. That's really where it all got started. Um, and the first couple articles I wrote, I was very, very interested in, in researching narcissism. Now this was 11 years ago. There was a lot more information out there now, but back then I believe there was like a couple books about it and that really made me mad. And I wanted to, to just, for, for the sake of everyone else, educate people on this stuff. So I ended up just writing some, some articles, no intention coaching or anything like that. And then one of my articles just went viral and, you know, long story short, I ended up coaching and, and getting into this business and really halfway through, you know, I'd say three or four years into coaching, I, it was just this question that I kept getting is, well, what do I say? Well, Lindsay, tell me, what do I say? And I said, there's gotta be a book on that, <laughs> you know, or something. 
and there really wasn't. So I said, well, I'm going to write one. And, um, and that's, and that's how I got into it. And I think having navigated a divorce and co-parenting with a covert narcissist, um, I understand, I know what it's like to, it's just mind numbing sometimes. And I, really employed that my magic words strategy on my ex first and just started naturally doing it. And then I just started doing research and, um, and, and thus came kind of this formula of magic words. Mm, perfect. Well, I have to say it's, it's really helped so many of my clients because, uh, you know, I too didn't realize how impactful being in a relationship and even the family dynamics of this buzzword that, as you said, when you started 11 years ago, um, there really wasn't as much out there. And there mm -hmm. is more now, thankfully, because the more knowledge and skills people have, I think the faster that they can get through a divorce or any even a business relationship unscathed as or shall we say less scathed if there is such a term there is now I suppose and it makes me delighted that there are more places that we can go for that education as lay people that not being a clinical licensed social worker, psychiatrist, mental health practitioner. And I have to say, even some of those aren't really that versed in it. Nope. It's, um, <laughs> and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Um, it's my, it's my theory and I, I think it's pretty accurate. Um, but this personality disorder, NPD, narcissistic personality disorder, was not identified as a disorder in the DSM until recently. So we're saying maybe eight years. Um, so think about that. Um, all psychologists and psychiatrists are trained and have codes that are written within the DSM. So it's kind of the Bible of, of mental health. Right. And, um, and so that's kind of what happened to me is I was seeing a therapist and a marriage counselor and, and no one was picking up on this issue. And so I was quite angry that I, it took me five years to, to have the courage to get out of that marriage. And had I had someone versed in it, I would have, um, I think I would have gotten out earlier. I wouldn't have felt as though it was my fault. And I felt like everything was my fault. And I felt like a massive failure. And I was about 20 pounds lighter by the time I got out of there because I was, I was just a wreck. And um, so that is why that if you've got a therapist who's been in the business for several years, 20, 30 years, and they're not taking, you know, continuing education courses, they really aren't getting the, the education and the research that's out there now on narcissism. The other thing too is narcissism is not a curable disorder because of the sad irony of the narcissist thinks as though there's nothing wrong with them and they think it's all your problem. So there's a lot more information about codependency, which is typically the, the, the partner uh, trait of, of someone who falls in love with a narcissist and the codependent is the one who thinks he or she is the problem. So we're the ones who go to self-help and we're the ones who are in therapy forever. And that I think is really where there's gonna be success um, because of this disorder and, and all the awareness that's been brought towards it um, over the past you know, four or five years that codependence and such as my book were, 
we're bringing to the the forefront here of it's not your fault you're never going to change them and the only person you can change is yourself and i think that's where the movement is headed mm. It makes me happy to hear that. And that makes perfect sense because I do know that most therapists, you know, they're trained beautifully and they're in this business for a long period of time as they should be. But as you said, this diagnosis was not in the DSM until approximately eight years ago. And unless they make that decision to stay educated and up on the new, newer trends or um, new uh, statistics and information that is always coming into every field, then why would they? So do you need to find somebody that's maybe uh, specifically trained in this or that is just a little more on the cutting edge and specializes in it or just somebody that's younger and maybe has had that training? What do you suggest about finding the best therapist for them? Well, unfortunately, I don't even know what kind of training is out there. So that's that's one. So I don't, I, I don't have anything to offer your listeners to ask a question, have you gone through this training, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, earlier this year, I did my own training for mediators so that they could get trained on this because a lot of them, you know, there just isn't a training program on how to mediate or negotiate with a narcissist. And that's an oxymoron in and of itself. So um, that's, that's one thing. I think that it's just asking the question of, you know, how familiar you are with narcissism and, and how familiar you are with high conflict relationships and, um, and how do you, if there is marriage counseling, how, you know, what are your skills for navigating um, that in, in one room with somebody? So, um, and then of course, you know, a lot of people find me through Google, you know, through, through, and there's a lot of experts out there. Um, I, I, I think there's, um, there's a lot of coaches who are really getting into this. So you could always look into that as well. Right. No, that makes me happy. Good for clarifying that because I'm assuming that many people, when they need to find a therapist for counseling, they just assume that every counselor is versed in everything. And that just doesn't appear to be the case. So, yeah. Let's shift a little bit to the book, Magic Words. Now, I know that's an acronym. Can you break down what Magic Words means? So, before I dive into that, I just wanted to put some context around the book and the driving force of of magic words because a lot of the times that when we see a narcissist when we look at a narcissist we we lose power we give up our power we feel powerless we feel helpless and in all of the work that i do my work is about shifting the lens in which you see this person Mm -hmm. and the first way to do that is realizing your power, your power, your own power. And so one of the early chapters in my book is about being the CEO of your life. And let's, let's, let's look at you for a second. And oftentimes when we are divorcing a narcissist or we have to co-parent with one, they know all of our weak, our weak buttons. They know the behind the scenes of our life. They, they, they know what works, what doesn't. And we can often feel so weak and broken. Um, and here we are trying to co-parent with someone and they know 
that were weak and broken. So it's really about resetting yourself and becoming the CEO of, of your home, your, your, and, and your children uh, work for you, so to speak. And, and, um, and then you have people that you have to delegate to. So it's really you know, checking in and getting a little bit stronger there. Um, and then there's the magic aspect of the first is mapping their persona. Um, so having been in advertising and marketing for the first half of my career, as I had mentioned, one of the things that we did was in order to get a consumer to buy X product, we had to do this whole persona thing. What are what everything we would know about the buyer and Ultimately, it was what are their weak points? What, are they, what do they need and what do they want to hear? And I started to employ that strategy um, with high conflict people. They're the same thing. If we want to get something from them, we're going to have to change our perception and we're not going to start engaging. And I, and I mentioned this in the book. It's like, if you want someone to buy your product, you're not going to argue with them and tell them that they're pieces of shit, right? <laughs> Please buy my product. No, you come up with a certain set of key buzzwords that really target to what they need. So the same thing. So there's this questioning format of mapping their persona, which is all of these questions that I have you do in the book to help you understand what, um, what's their background, what, what's their childhood dynamic, what, what's their, what are their siblings, and really kind of to get you to map out how and why they are the way they are so that you can really see it on paper. And then the next one is A, which is assess their fears and insecurities. So it's really where you start to understand what their top, I, I, I do this kind of questionnaire where you have, um, you are going to identify their top three fears and insecurities. So oftentimes the biggest mistake we make as um, people dealing with narcissists is that we become the trigger that fires off their top three fears and insecurities. Mm -hmm. And so if let's say, um, you know, one of the biggest fears and insecurities is looking good, right? Like looking good in front of everybody. If you were to tell them how horrible they are, that's only going to trigger them and it's not going to foster cooperation. So the goal here is this is where you're going to find their fears and insecurities. You can use them to your advantage when they work, but you're also going to stay clear of triggering those buttons if you're trying to get what you want, something from them. And the, the, <laughs> this is where often people, I think it's kind of the number one thing where people make the biggest mistake is hitting those hot buttons. And I, really try to get you to neutralize, as I say, neutralize the power struggle uh, to, to help and, and, and give it your advantage, if you will. Do you want me to continue with the, the rest of the letters? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> okay. Um, and then G is goal setting. So <clears throat> this is a really important step. If the person is texting you, your narcissist, let's say, is texting you. And let's say they're just mouthing off to you or they are, um, it's almost as though you can tell that they, they're starting something with you. Of course, instinctively, we wanna battle them and tell them X, Y, Z that, um, and, and, and engage. And this is really where I say, it's like, they're on a tennis court and they, they're inviting you in to play. 
And you have to then, before you walk into play, is what are my goals and what do I want to achieve from this conversation? And if you do not have an answer, you do not respond. You do not go into that tennis court. You don't start playing. If you are the one who's starting the engagement, if you are the one who is wanting to need something from this person, you then ask yourself that question, what are the goals for this conversation? And be very, very clear on them because as you start to engage them, let's say, hey, could you pick up Johnny from, from school at two o'clock, I can't make it. Um, they will use that up depending on their mood and what's going on with them, um, depending on their mood, they will start bringing you and sucking you into their narcissistic vortex, which is the tennis court of I want to play. And oftentimes, if we're not paying attention, we'll go right in. Mm. So this is really about making really clear on your goals. And then the next was I, which is identify your words. And in the book, I give 10 what I call magic words or phrases that really help kickstart a different conversation with this person. And they are all designed and they are going to be very simple. They're going to say like, well, why don't I think of that? It has so much to do with the lens in which you were looking at this person to begin with. So that's that's part of the magic in the book. It's less about the words itself, um, but it's more about getting you to think about this person as a really broken, sad, <clears throat> unmanageable person. And when you start to see it, I I I think I think I say this in the book, or do I say I I, I get confused of what I say and. <laughs> written but if you were to be in let's say a diner and you are hearing this noise and there's a kid melting down and having a total temper tantrum fit and your first reaction is to get really annoyed and to look over at this like kid like oh my god can those parents just please you know get this kid together but then you look at this kid and you're like oh you could just tell something's not right. Maybe he, he or she's got some, some de- developmental issues, autism or whatever. You instantly have empathy for them and you were able to tolerate their temper tantrum even more. And that's the way we need to look at a narcissist is that they have a disorder, they have a developmental immaturity of some sort and we have to manage that. And we have to not engage and have the temper tantrum with them. Mm-hmm. So that I is really just giving you examples of those magic words and phrases. And then of course the C is just communicating and putting the whole plan together and really giving you the confidence to, to employ this strategy and also to manage your expectations of some things are gonna work and some things aren't. And you'll have your own set of words and phrases. But the idea here is to really just look at them um, with that new lens. That is really helpful. I can relate to every single one of them, particularly the irony of the marketing <laughs> and advertising background that you have. I went to school for journalism and communication. And of course, it's very similar, you know, when you need to get a message across, uh, you know, who are you delivering it to? What is, yes. the, what is the goal and strategy of this um, piece? When you're develop when you're developing and writing and editing, it's the it's very similar. And when you're in a relationship that is healthy, that naturally just flows and ebbs, and you can morph together in a healthy relationship of give and take. But when you're in a relationship that's high conflict, combative, controlling, and abusive, and potentially narcissistic, it 
and the covert narcissism is very difficult for women and men to wrap their head around because it's very subtle. You know, um, can you mm-hmm. describe a little bit of when you mentioned the term covert narcissist for those people that are new to this world of what is she talking about? Mm-hmm. What is the difference between just narcissism and a covert narcissist? Mm-hmm. Well, the beauty is I've dated all of them, so I can just uh, <laughs> or, yeah, or, yeah. or been with all of them. A covert narcissist is, is um, think of a covert operations, right? It's uh, undercover. So they don't really appear very narcissistic. They have the ability to empathize. They have the ability to show affection and love. Um, it's often, an, an, although they have this ability, it's often over the top. Um, they will show massive amounts of expression. Dealing uh, with a covert narcissist can often kind of throw you off guard and the relationship goes from zero to 80 really quick because they're literally giving you high levels of love and affection that you've never had before. And so you're like, this is the most affectionate human being ever. Um, The problem with the covert narcissist is that you're right, it is so subtle and so hard to pinpoint that being with a covert narcissist makes you think there's something wrong with you and you're questioning your own mental health, which is what I did for several years. Um, So if you were to, this is a classic thing that I think coverts do. Um, You're starting to engage. He's picking at you like a woodpecker, pick, 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 you know, almost just pressing every button. You're trying to remain calm. You're trying to remain calm. And then you blow up and you start to have a complete anger spout because you're just so frustrated and then they become very very calm and they're like whoa is there are you okay are are you feeling okay what's what's wrong with you oh my gosh um it's a good thing you have me no one else is going to love me the way this person does and then that's how they really grab you uh, and suck you in for a long period of time an overt narcissist is someone who is a lot more flamboyant, is a, is someone who says, look at me, look at me. And they actually, those are the ones who actually admit they're a narcissist. They don't care that they're a narcissist. They don't get defensive. They actually kind of can be proud of it. Uh, they often have flashy cars, big titles. Um, they love praise. They have no problem with receiving praise. And um, overt narcissists are the ones who often cheat and then they discard you quickly. Um, covert narcissists can also cheat, but those are the ones who typically will hang on to the relationship and, um, and kind of keep you over as plan B or an overt narcissist, like, yeah, I'm done with you. And, and it's, and that's, you know, very, very, uh, traumatic to, to just be dumped like that, um, mm-hmm. with, without even thinking. And, and then they're the ones who get the girlfriend. And then when they have the new girlfriend, and again, I always say men too are this way or women are, are this way as well. But let's just say that in this case, the man gets the girlfriend and right away he's posting pictures of her on Instagram and Facebook. Like they're that happy couple and that's overt. So they're overtly looking for attention and they coverts and overts are both fantasy seekers for sure. But the grandiosity um, that's required to, get that fantasy is far more, um, it, 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 it's, it's far more obvious with an overt narcissist. 
right? Now that's, that's quite um, apparent. I see the difference between that person that will say to you when they're finding fault and picking at you, as you said, and you're trying to breathe and be patient and let, let it subside. And then it just happens. And you all of a sudden just lose it and say, stop. And then they go, whoa, what are you talking about with the whole, they shift and then say, just, you know, are you okay? And good thing you have me because you would just lose your mind if you didn't have me to keep your shit together. And before you know it, you know, you're like, what just happened to me? It's mm-hmm. mind blowing. I've, I've seen that time and time again versus the person that is, you know, the bright colors and is loud and, you know, monopolizes the conversation and is always 80% plus of the conversation is me, 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 me. And then like, oh, I got to go and nice seeing you. Bye. And you're like, what just happened? Right. Uh, there's, it, you know, do covert narcissists um, know that they're being covert or is it just no. the tactic that they use and they, they're oblivious? Yeah. And I talk about this in the book, especially in kind of mapping their persona. You okay. really kind of get a feeling for everything. Everything we do is tied to our childhood and our past. Mm-hmm. And um and, and that's really just to kind of note that that is the evolution of my work, because if you are co-parenting with a narcissist or trying to get out of relationship with a narcissist or managing or whatever, all of the things that upset you have really nothing to do with this person. Okay. That has to do from your past. And so typically those who marry a narcissist had a parent who was a narcissist of some sort mom or dad or both, or they're someone highly codependent. And regardless of the situation, we have what's called childhood trauma. um, And trauma is defined as anything less than nurturing. So if we had a parent that wounded us, um, we will often subconsciously go find a person that mirrors that parent to ultimately, like I say, rewrite the story or we're trying to heal and trying to basically make the wound go away with the parent and not through this other person. And that's one of the biggest things you can do is work on yourself is to, um, that's how you're going to to create the most change and and create a different outcome is really looking at yourself and what's wounding you and what's triggering you and what lens are you still looking at this person and how can we change that lens for you and so that's kind of a lot of the past work and I I have a a phrase that um, I love that I say um, if the tears come fast it's from the past Mm -hmm. so if this person is really derailing you really quickly I want you to remember that it's nothing to do with him it has everything to do with your past something you're getting to be wounded and you feel as though you might be six or seven or 12 years old whatever the past is for you and you feel like a little girl and you can't control it and you can't feel it that's with a shift that when you're dealing with a narcissist nothing he will say to you is there are no tears because you've done the healing work mm. to answer your question now about the does the narcissist know absolutely not they don't know because they are also going through the same amount of pain. Mm-hmm. Um, narcissists and codependents have very similar childhoods, if not identical, which is what the chemistry we have with them. There's a mirroring aspect. There's a parallel understanding of each other's pain. Mm-hmm. But somewhere around adolescence, um, there's a fork in the road. And 
the narcissist, depending on what they need from a parent, they will choose the narcissist path or the codependent path. And I won't say they choose. That's not, that's, I want to clarify. It's a subconscious choice. And they do that based on the reaction of the parent. So if they're getting, let's say, neglect from mom or dad, and they realize that if they're the star football player and they're getting a lot of praise because a narcissistic parent sees their children as an extension of themselves, mm -hmm. they will then create a false sense of self or a false persona to match the ideals of the narcissistic parent. If there's abuse or things that, um, you know, a, a different kind of childhood environment um, where that child feels as though they're getting praised by caretaking, by taking on the burdens of their parents, by being the scapegoat of that home, that's the codependent route. So <clears throat> it's really got a lot to do with our childhood. And um, the problem is, is as uh, narcissistic people get older, it's, it's harder and harder for them to change because they have literally created um, a narrative in their head that they are the victim and everyone else is the aggressor mm. and everyone else needs work. They don't need work. They don't need help. And you'll see often that narcissists will go to therapy. If you've ever seen that, I'm sure everyone is nodding their head. Yep. I've been there with one, right? they will win the therapist over. They will look like a great mom or dad. They <clears throat> will create themselves as probably just the most perfect person. And they are so, so, so savvy at manipulating that um, they'll get that therapist to, to kind of look at you and say, okay, I, I think this is you. I think this is your, your the issue. And it really takes a savvy therapist to know that they're being um, manipulated. Same thing can happen with lawyers and judges and, and um, depending on the narcissist, you know, divorce is a fun, is a fun thing for them. They, they get a kick out of it. Um, it's, it's a new platform for them to be on stage and to get narcissistic supply, which is uh, I call uh, adding gasoline to the fire. They love it. Mm -hmm. So it's really got to do with both of your childhoods and someone has to break that cycle and it's going to be you. It's never going to be them because they, they use the, even the conflict that you have, they, that's supply for them. It gives them a moment to feel powerful and, and, and being heard. Mm. Beautiful points. I could walk through all of your conversation there and relate to so many different issues, particularly the caretaker of parents. So, mm -hmm. so you did bring up um, cheating and I get this question a lot. So speaking of cheating and fidelity, are all cheaters narcissists and are all narcissists cheaters? Hmm, love that question. Um, my answer is, I want to say is my opinion um, because this is not, uh, I don't have it's the data to back this up. <laughs> Maybe we'll put it in the DSM, no. Yeah. yeah. So are all cheaters narcissists? No, I don't think so. Because actually I have dealt with a lot of clients who were married to a narcissist and they ended up cheating, right? Because there is so much abuse going on in that marriage that they, they in their minds don't know how to get out of it. And the only way to get out of it is by, you know, involving themselves and throwing themselves in another relationship. 
Um, and I know those who have cheated have a lot of remorse. <clears throat> um, narcissists don't really have empathy. They don't, they don't have the ability to, to really get it. Uh, so no, I don't think that all cheaters are narcissists. Um, and what was the other question? Are narcissists cheaters? Yeah, are no, so uh, it's sort of that, you know, are all narcissists cheaters? I would say no to that too. Right. Um, you know, my ex-husband, for instance, um, he, who knows, he could have, right? But it's just not in his, it's just not who he is. And I, and I really think those covert narcissists, they, they really pride themselves on being the monogamous, like the, the monogamous person mm -hmm. and, and being that, you know, white picket I would never fence. do a thing like that. I would never, yeah, I, the white picket fence dad. And those are the ones, honestly, it's kind of crazy to say this, but those are the guys who actually push their spouse to cheat on them. Um, not push, but it's, it's kind of a subconscious effort because they are so enamored with themselves and their ability to be, you know, the guy who brings, you know, brings home the bacon and he's the, the perfect father and, and, and everyone adores him. And you're kind of like, what's wrong with me? Like, mm. you know, why does everyone love this person? And I don't. And then, and I, and I guess I'm speaking from personal experience here. Um, and so, you know, when you start, it really sets you up for, for, you know, looking at other people. And I think cheating has nothing to do um, with, with the person you are cheating with, truthfully. I think it has a lot to do with, um, it's a life raft. And you feel as though you're drowning and you have no idea how to swim to shore. So you see this life raft come along and you hold on to this person. And I always use this analogy, but meanwhile, you're in three feet of water and all you need to do is just stand up. But a lot of the times people don't see that. They have no other choice but to go in that direction. Right, it makes so much sense. Now, could you, of all the 10 that you suggest and that I love how it's just really like, these are some suggestions of conversations, but do you have a favorite or two of the 10 that you suggest that you feel are either very successful or more successful with most, most communication styles? Yes. Yeah, so of course, not engaging and not saying anything at all is always effective. Um, and I even talk about that of, of really not engaging. And that really goes and ties into goal setting. If this doesn't meet a goal, if the conversation isn't really getting anywhere, you just don't say anything. And I know how hard that is, especially if you're fired up and you have so much built up anger and resentment towards this person, you wanna launch your grenade. And I will say, even as an author of this book, I still falter. And so you're human and that's okay. But just be mindful of when you see this person's name pop up on your phone, for instance, um, Maybe not even open the text until you're in a, in a good grounded place. And if you're not, just don't communicate. Um, the other one I really love is that I, I hear you. Mm. I hear you. So <clears throat> narcissists, what? They love to be heard and seen. That's very, very important to me. And you'll find that certain words work better for you based on their fears and insecurities. 
So if you have a narcissist whose mother never heard him, let's say, um, they're going to need mothering. And I would say that a lot of narcissists have mother issues, especially men. Um, and I think the female narcissists have daddy issues. So um, the men you'll see, just think about how much mothering does this person need? And a lot of the times, crazily enough, I find this, is that the narcissist is looking for you to mother them through a decision, through a process. We don't know that. They don't ask for help. But when you start to just say, I hear you, okay, um, if they're starting to make a suggestion or a request, I hear you, let me think about that and I'll get back to you. Mm. That's very helpful. And, and then you can, you're, you're giving them access to you, but you have a boundary and they feel as though they're being heard. Or you say, I hear you. And then you mirror back what they said. So you want me to take the kids for the weekend so that you can go away skiing. Okay. I hear you. Let me get back to you. And you'll see how neutralizing that is. Right. And that kind of throws them off. Cause they're like, are they being sarcastic? Like what, <laughs> what's going on? And that, that's a really great thing. If um, a, a great phrase to use, if um, they're asking you of something and you really want to say no, what happens when we say no to a narcissist? It's game on. Mm. You know, that's a boundary. And um, in my book, I say boundaries are like kryptonite to narcissists. They don't like it. It weakens them. And so they're going to fight you. So that's where there's, you know, there's a, a myth that says, you know, or, or, or it's a, not a myth. It's a saying that you can never negotiate with a narcissist. Um, and you being a mediator, you could probably have a lot of comments on that. Mm -hmm. um, you, it's very hard to, to negotiate with a narcissist, but you can also manipulate the manipulator. Mm -hmm. And it really takes, again, a different lens to start saying this stuff and to start looking at them differently because it's going to feel very weird. Um, and, um, you know, there's one, there's one phrase in the book where I just say to them, like, I know this is going to make you throw up, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and it, 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 you'll be surprised how much it will empower you by showing this kind of softer, empathetic side to you because that's actually what they need. And I found that over the years, that has just been a, a wonderful tool that, that I've used over the years um, with co-parenting with my ex. Um, and I'll often have to mother him through something. Um, especially if I think like one of the things he did was just, you know, a really bad idea or a bad decision. The first thing we want to say is how can you do that? You're such an idiot or whatever that doesn't work. So if you really, really are trying to instill a different outcome with a narcissist, that is just the strategy you're going to have to employ. Mm. Perfect. Well, I have two favorites. One is uh, you're, you are really good at. Nah, that's the one. That's the one that makes everyone puke. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but I find that it's very effective because even with someone that you don't uh, particularly uh, have a, an amicable relationship with, they love to hear you tell them what they're good at. And yep. even if we don't particularly love 99.9999% of it, we can usually find one 
uh, attribute that they are good at, like mm-hmm. calming the children down or wrapping a gift or job hunting or writing ad copy or something that really has nothing to do with finding one thing that they're good at. You know, um, you know, uh, it, it usually when they hear that, it makes them say, oh, um, they, they, there's that they stop that, you know, yep. up against the wall, as you put it, boundaries. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and I'm trying to remember the other one, it'll come to me, but there were so many that, um, and I've, I've tried all 10 of them. Mm-hmm. And of course, not all 10 work with all people, right? but you have to pick and choose the one that really is effective. And that's what I think the magic of the book is, is it reframes the conversation with someone that is really stuck because they just have thrown their hands up in the air, find that there's nothing they can say that will make any bit of difference. And they love a good fight. And when you say no, as you said, it's game on and they hate that they don't get their way. They just cannot understand that they are not entitled to whatever they think they're entitled to, even if it's not the, the law, the rules, the guidelines, they don't care. Yes. And I mentioned this scenario in the book about if your child is it's four or five o'clock, you're making dinner. And if your child comes over and asks for a candy bar, goes into the pantry and wants a snack, you say no, or you redirect them, um, and you know dinner's going to be ready soon. And if that child starts to have a meltdown, I ask the reader, "Do you melt down with them?" Mm-hmm. No. You try to, um, you know, if you were to explain, "Well, there's dinner ready in ten minutes," they, you you know, because they're kids, they don't get time. They don't understand that. So you offer them, you could choose this or you could choose this and you're redirecting them so that you remain in control. There is no difference (laughs) when you're dealing with an adult child. That's what I say. You're dealing with an adult child, um, someone who has developmental immaturity and where you get stuck is, and we all do it, and uh, like I said, you're going to have some bad days where you fall off the wagon, um, but you just don't engage with them. And if you have to engage with them, you, you really try these neutralizing tools, to your point. Mm. Perfect. So now the work that you're doing is a little bit different. You're shifting a little bit more into... Um, being more of a relationship and a trauma specialist. And uh, I love how you mentioned that a bad marriage or even a relationship, it doesn't necessarily have to be a marriage. It can be any relationship is really a symptom of a much larger problem. Mm -hmm. And that we have to truly get back to basics with understanding our blueprint or our childhood and the things that we learn that we now need to unlearn and understand our broken viewpoint and lens and how we see the world and our maladaptive coping behaviors because we all have them. So how do you go about shifting people's um, awareness and when you work with them in trauma, uh, can you give some tips as to what the best way to learn about the work that you're doing now? Yes. Yeah, I'm curious. So I have um, a, a, a new coaching program, which is, I call the, it's a six week 
one-on-one -on -one program with me um, that's called Blueprint Coaching. It's really to understand what your blueprint is. And a lot of people do come to me, especially from my book of like, this person's driving me crazy. Um, and I have been coaching on those issues for, for, for many years now. Uh, what I have really learned um, is those things are just band-aid approaches to, but it's not healing the larger problem, which is from your past. And I speak of this from experience um, because I have gone through quite a bit of transformation myself this year. And I learned a lot of things from my childhood. Um, and I had a lot of unhealed trauma and I didn't even know it was trauma. So part of the work that I have discovered that I have found to be so incredibly eye-opening and transformational is being aware of what those issues are. And I think, you know, that's, this is the best part about this program is that I love seeing clients come to me and they say, I had no idea. I never saw that before. Mm -hmm. So one of the very first steps that we work on is we look at your timeline and that's what I call it. So it's kind of a whole timeline and exercise uh, where you map out everything that has happened to you from zero to 18 years old. And, um, and the way you do it and the way I have my clients doing it, just that alone is, is very eye-opening. And what I do is I help pull out your I am nots. That's what I call it. And it's really, that's your blueprint. That was your foundation that I pull out for you of I am not, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not worthy of success. I'm not worthy of love. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And those are the things, the subconscious thoughts that you are telling yourself day in and day out and you don't even know it. And that, so that's what I say. I say the timeline in your blueprint is the holy grail of your pain. So when people are saying, why am I still hurting? Or I've divorced and it's been two years and I'm still angry. It has nothing to do with that person. The reason why you have not had success with getting over your pain is because you're looking in the wrong direction. It's not about this person. It's about your past. And so once you get to that core issue of healing yourself and, and doing inner child work, um, those problems that you thought would never go away, they just, they don't surface themselves. They're gonna be there, you're just not gonna react to them. And, and so, yeah, that's the, the work I've kind of just evolved to is what I call um, just emotional freedom coaching, um, getting you um, from, you know, breakdown to breakthrough. And every breakdown that we have, there is a gift in it. And um, so, yeah, that's the work that I do. And I just love it. It's, it's, it's been um, a remarkable thing. Um, I do want to just footnote that it's not um, trauma therapy um, at all. And, um, and I really do think there are trauma therapists out there that are amazing. And, um, and it's a completely different approach where I come in is really help you become aware and set your blueprint and give you actual tools for managing your pain. Mm -hmm. um, this isn't about making the pain go away. It will over time. Um, but this is about giving you a lot of tools to understand why you are reacting the way you are and how you are going to parent yourself through that problem. Mm -hmm. Beautifully put. And for all of you yogis out there listening, your I am nots are your V culpas. 
Um, well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, but it's, I've never heard it put that way. So the, that list of things, I am not this, I am not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not tall enough, old enough, young enough, rich enough, you know, strong enough, smart enough, whatever. It's that underlying, yeah, we call them vikalpas in the yogic philosophy. Hmm. Well, for those people out there that would love to get your book, learn about you, your work, you know, understand a little bit more about your journey, how is the best way for them to do that? Well, there's lots of ways. First, my book is on Amazon. So that's an easy buy right there. Um, I, um, I also have a, a book on Audible and I sell a accompanied kind of online worksheet to accompany the Audible, should that be your method of choice. My website is lindsayellison.com. I'm sure you'll have that in your show notes or something. And then um, I also have a podcast um, called Unbreakable You. And I talk all about this and I, I talk a lot about just number one thing is I get is I feel so broken. And so my podcast really is about, well, how do you get unbroken? And what does that mean? Yeah. Well, I think that's the reason I gravitated to you and your work. You've really helped me, not Thank only you. personally, but as a coach and as a professional, both in the mediation world and as a high touch certified divorce coach, being able to really understand this phenomenon of conflict, because when you embark on a divorce or even contemplating it, you feel broken. You feel yes. that something is wrong with you, that you have failed and if you, <clears throat> excuse me, go it alone. For me, it was devastating not knowing who to trust, who to turn to, and that there really wasn't anything wrong with me, that I wasn't broken, that I wasn't a failure, that it was a natural evolution of self-understanding to yep. be able to learn from the divorce. And it's brought me such incredible joy being able to thrive and get through it and really transform into a completely different person and learn from those childhood patterns and those mistakes that I personally made and to be able to save my clients um, so many mistakes and time and money and heartache and relationships that can in fact stay intact if you in fact uh, do it wisely. And that's why I created Better Divorce Blueprint. So I find it crazy that, we, you know, when we just bumped into each other a year and a half ago, that our, our patterns and our um, paths have reemerged and crossed. So thank you, Lindsay, for your time. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. It's an honor and everybody, you will not be sorry. Buy her book, work with her. She is a genius. She is smart mm -hmm. and funny. Uh, <laughs> and she has a, a potty sa sailor mouth, just like I do. Okay, good. <laughs> and, uh, she used to play ice hockey and my daughter plays ice hockey. So I love that about you too. Lindsay you Ellison, go. Start Over Coaching. And listen to her podcast. It's called Unbreakable You, Break Up Without Being Broken. And to those of you listening, just keep thriving in the chaos. Thanks for tuning in and make sure if you want to talk to us or ask us questions, you can always email us at thrivinginchaospodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.